Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I'm your host, Perry. Super excited to have you all back with me this week. Can't wait for you all to hear this interview with Seth from Broken Barrel Spirits here in just a bit as well. If you are new to the show, thank you so much for checking it out. If you are returning, hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for coming back. If you have not yet, please subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We'll, of course, read it out at the end of every episode. Well, not every episode. We'll switch it up. If there's an, a, a review, it's complicated, I know. But if you have a new review, we'll read it out. Anyway, um, it really helps the show. Gets other people listening to the show. Gets us up in the iTunes charts. All that good stuff. If you have not checked out all of our apparel and merchandise, it's bourbonshop.threadless.com. If you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, we are on our way to 1,000. We are getting so, so close to 1,000 subs. I think we're just about 70 away uh, as of recording this. And uh, also patreon.com slash podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can help support the show. Five bucks gets you some bonus content as well and good stuff. And uh, you are also going to want to be on the Patreon here over the next month or so with some very big, fun news about our next barrel pick. That is coming up very soon, y'all. And that's all I'm going to say about it. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. Hey, we'll do a couple of uh, what we've been drinking recently before we uh, get on to the interview. Oh, a few weeks ago now at this point, and I've just been so happy to come home to it. I did a stream with Russell's Reserve 13-year cast strength, and I freaking love this bottle so much. I have to dose it out in very small pours to myself uh, so I don't go too crazy, but it is such a great bottle, um, and I, I can't, I can't wait to get another. <laughs> I'm just so ready to get another bottle already. And I have also been drinking on just the classic Elijah Craig small batch, just the 94 proof, man. It, it's, it's so good to kind of come home and have something that you can kind of know what you're getting into. And it's, it's a very familiar yet complex pour. And uh, I, I definitely need to, I need to do a video on, on my thoughts about Elijah Craig sometime soon. Maybe that'll be the next video. Maybe I'll talk about Elijah Craig and uh, do a little review of it. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. Can't wait to get into this with you all today. I'm super happy to be welcoming to the show the founder of Infused Spirits. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth. Is it pronounced Benheim? Got it. Perfect. Ah, perfect. All right. Perfect. I'm like, that puts me at like 50% on names over the past couple of weeks. So pronounce it better than I do. <laughs> Seth, Seth, how are you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to get into these uh, these whiskeys with you and talk about the history of your company, how it all started, uh, and just kind of bring everybody up to speed on what's going on with you guys right now and what you guys have on uh, on the docket for the future. But uh, one of the things I like to do not just with uh, my co-hosts, but with people who are, are guesting on the show, is ask them, what have you been drinking recently? So is there anything you've been drinking recently? Ooh. Oh, it's a wonderful question. Um, yeah, no, last, uh, last night I was drinking a little Glenn Farkless 105. Mm. It's a 120 proof uh, scotch whiskey. Oh. Um, and this past 
weekend, which was the 4th of July, uh, I would, I had a little um, Jillian. It's a beer from Goose Island that comes in a 750 ml. Delicious. I enjoyed the Heck Jillian yes. very much. Uh, and these are just like, what am I drinking lately? That's kind of the last two things I remember drinking. Um, <laughs> And uh, I did try some new broken barrel samples uh, recently that I enjoyed, but I can't share what they were because they're not out yet. And I got to, I got to keep it a secret. I got to keep it a secret. <laughs> we're not going to, we're not going to push for anything that we can't talk about on the podcast. That's for you guys to, no worries. to discuss. To talk about. Yeah, plenty exactly. So exactly. We'll, man. we'll stick with those. those yeah. So let's uh, let's kind of get into what it is uh, that that you guys do at Infuse, and um, in in some ways how Broken Barrel came to be as well. Uh, but you guys have been around basically in some form or function since 2012, right? Uh, yeah, 2012 is like the the year I quit my job, posted up in my grandmother's garage at the age of 24, and uh, started tinkering with some vodka, and then. 2014 was the year we started, uh, we actually launched uh, a vodka product uh, called Infused Spirits. And 2015, we got some investments, uh, got out of the garage, got a paycheck. So I'd say 2015 was when we were, we were a company, like a formal company with operating agreements and those kinds of things that sure. real companies have. <laughs> Not just me with a bank account, and a checkbook and a roof over my head at my grandma's house. So um, certainly came along by 2015. Um, and the whiskey, you know, whiskey 2017 was the first year we put out a whiskey called Infused Spirits Broken Barrel Bourbon. And that was a, uh, a sort of foray into whiskey. We did about 500 cases. Um, we pre-sold the whole batch and we said, okay, this, this is good. Let's keep going. And thank God we did because, you know, flash forward uh, almost four years later. It hasn't quite been four years yet. We've, we've got quite a nice little whiskey business. And being a whiskey fanatic, for those just listening, uh, you can't see, but there's a lot of whiskey <laughs> behind me. You could, people that see me on Zoom are like, oh, this guy's really into booze, really into whiskey. <laughs> I love having that that as a as a backdrop. We were talking about before we were recording my bar, and it's most of the bottles that are on there are uh, currently being hidden behind um, snuffle up, I guess. But that's a conversation for a different time. But uh, yeah, it, it is oh, kind is of. Is that what that is? I thought that was a plant. Yeah, that's uh, that's snuffy back there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole thing. It has to do with the live streams and whatnot. But he's uh, a. He's like the patron saint of our, our live stream show. He's part of the podcast. He's part he of the is. Show. He's, he's very much our little, our little mods, uh, mascot, which I, you know, I could probably get in a lot of trouble with uh, HBO and, and Sesame Street, of course, over that, but he hasn't shown I mean, up on any paid, merch yet. You, uh, you paid for the Snuffleupagus toy, so I think that's, you can do whatever you want with it after that, right? Fair. Until my, my daughter takes it from me, which will happen yeah. inevitably. So there you go. <laughs> but let's let's talk about the the inception behind infused spirits. Of course, vodka is one of, and I mean this with absolutely no disrespect, 
the easier ways to get into the spirits industry. Absolutely. Um, so w- was whiskey always kind of in, uh, in, in the, the four view, the front view, I guess. Um, or was that just kind of something that came along and, um, I guess why vodka at first? Um, great. It's a great question. Um, Infused spirits was always predicated on the process of real, natural, single bottle infusions. So literally single bottle, like the infusion takes place in each physical bottle, independent of the bottle before and after it, uh, with the possibility of one bottle varying from the next. Each one is a unique individual infusion. So Infused Spirits, the company, the concept from day one was we're going to build a spirits company that focuses on this process. And from day one, everything was on the table. So you had infused vodka, infused gin, infused bitters, infused bourbon, infused um, uh, rum, tequila, you name it. I bought all the domain names uh, on the same day as we bought the vodka. So everything was always on the table. The vodka was the obvious choice because then and still today, infusions, when someone thinks of what alcohol is going to be infused, it's typically vodka. Right. And then vodka infusions date back to early uh, accounts of vodka consumption in Russia and Poland. And uh, it's totally a common practice in a lot of countries, including the U.S., uh, for doing homemade infusions, like, you know, behind the bar at home, that sort of thing. So it's a natural fit. If you were to Google trend search, what consumers are looking to infuse, infused vodka has one, one, like 100 times more search results uh, or people searching for that than infused whiskey or other categories. It's the number one infusion um, concept or, or, uh, curiosity of people. So it was, it was a natural fit. Uh, that's why we did vodka first. Did, was it product that you had, uh, and don't want to get you in trouble, but was it product that you made in your grandma's garage or did you, oh, no. uh, did you source no. that? Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. We've never, we've never, it's not like a bathtub gin kind of thing. Sure. Uh, any moonshining. Uh, <laughs> I've never, I can safely say I have never distilled a single bottle, barrel, anything of any spirit ever. I have never distilled or even tried to once. Uh, and I don't mean that like, like I never will. I actually own a still uh, here at our facility in downtown Los Angeles. We have a 26 gallon pot still. I have yet to use it. And I would let my employees <laughs> turn it on way before I ever would. Uh, I'm more of a marketing and branding and blending uh, uh, force uh, for the company rather sure. than an actual technical or scientific uh, chemist of any kind to, to start messing around with distillation. And I'll probably blow up the building if I touch it. So, <laughs> but that aside, no, the concept was always to be uh, sourcing our vodka, um, which pretty much, I mean, very, very few companies distill their own vodka. It is a very inexpensive thing to purchase to yeah. read a still, even if you have a still. So 
we and with our whiskey as well we do not distill our own whiskey we find fantastic partners bottlers and we apply our process so where we come in is we cut prep break chop peel fruit to our specifications our recipe and then we taught manufacturing facilities how to put our recipes together and actually prepare and process the real fruit ingredients. I mean, we had to get certain storage uh, modifications done to house, sure. you know, you know, air conditioning, air conditioning room for fruit and, and um, refrigeration and, and uh, cooling boxes and all these different types of equipment to make sure we were uh, containing the fruit correctly. So the fruit processing was something that we really had to sit down and figure out that part. For the, and that was all for the vodka, of course. What, what's your what's your background in? This, I mean, I've been doing this pretty much. I was right out of college. I lived in Man. Arizona for uh, a year um, after college. I went to U of A and then moved back to Los Angeles. And about a year after that, I, I started the company. So I've been doing this for the last uh, nine and a half years. So, I mean, th- this has always been something, I mean, even as you were, you know, in the, the infant stages of the company, I mean, it was kind of almost a no brainer for you in terms of, you know, making something your own, as opposed to jumping on board with somebody else's brand or somebody else's product. Yeah. I've, I've been, uh, entrepreneurial since I was, I'd say 19, um, <laughs> at 19, I started a, an online marketing business in Tucson where I would sell furniture on Craigslist for these, uh, you know, mom and pop furniture stores. And it got kind of, it got bigger and bigger. And I was basically running the entire thing uh, through Craigslist and, and using the word Craigslist and the likeness of Craigslist uh, to the oh. point where I got a, I got a cease and desist from Craigslist. Oh no. I was like, this stack, like this huge packet shows up in the mail. And Craigslist basically said that you broke every single term of use that you click accept when you like to try to sell something on Craigslist. I had people in India using VOIP software to move the mouse and keyboard for a series of desktop computers that were hooked up to a monitor switch. And I could check on each of the different people in Pakistan and India and all that and check on the monitors and see that they were all posting 24 hours a day in Tucson because they had an IP, they had like a firewall. So you couldn't actually yeah. post an ad from India. You had to be in Tucson to post in Tucson. Right. So I set up a wall of computers with the monitor switch. It was hysterical. Um, we were selling cars. We were renting houses. We were uh, selling appliances, furniture, motorcycles. Um, I've sold art. Uh, I think the biggest, I sold a, a condo. I think I sold like a five hundred thousand dollar condo um, to somebody, and I was like twenty. The commission was really good on that, and I actually ended up buying a house uh, with my parents. We went in together on a house right after the, uh, the two thousand eight deal. So that was kind of fun. It was cool. Dang. A lot of experience in college. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, entrepreneurial. I always wanted to do my own thing. That that is, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever I was expecting you to answer that question with, it was not, not that. <laughs> I almost had Craigslist 
sue me for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I spent a I spent a good deal of time because by the time I got that cease and desist, we were like I had already shut it down, moved to LA. And so yeah. I had to spend a lot of time like sending them links with sc- or screenshots, I should say, of me having closed all of these different accounts. Cause I had like, I was living, my dad's a doctor and as a joke, I was like, dad, look, I'm not going to go to medical school, but I created this thing called Dr. Craigslist. And so I'm sure if you scour the internet for Seth Benheim, Dr. Craigslist, you could find something, but. Oh my God. Yeah, it was was crazy. It's like, there's like a stethoscope coming through like a a computer monitor. (laughs) I'm like, dad, I'm a doctor. He's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It it was funny. That's incredible, dude. That is, we were wild. We were crazy. I had uh, college students working for me. We were like all doing it together. I had like a pyramid scheme. going. It all, it's all, it all sounds like, um, uh, the, the incubator in Silicon Valley. Um, Oh, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. It's got that same kind of like, like, I guess he, he's got the right intentions, but it feels a little bit weird and like, uh, you know, yeah. it, it was, <laughs> it was a fun, fun couple of years of, of messing around with the computers and, and yeah. doing that. But yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fine. It was, it was certainly a good experience. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the entrepreneurial aspects of it and, Certainly, uh, if that hadn't happened, I'm sure we would not be sitting here talking today. Yeah, so, of course. Um, you know, one thing leads to the next, and I got a taste for it, and I enjoyed it. And I certainly set out to do my own thing uh, not long after that. Yeah, I'd say so. When when did whiskey come into the mix for you? When did spirits come into the mix for you? I mean, was it always something that you had uh, on the side is kind of a, a, a passion or a love for and then once the entrepreneurial stuff came about then you 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 sought out to do something with it or was it just uh something that seemed like a good fit that you kind of wanted to make happen with what you were already doing uh i had a sort of draw to alcohol from a young age so i had the fake id um <laughs> In high school and all that and, and that worked to my advantage and i pretty much have looked like this forever i don't think, <laughs> I, I don't think my face has changed much since i was 16 or 17 so sure you know i had the full black beard and all that so yeah no it's been a, a fake id and then i would say in college there was a, there was a year there where i worked all summer and took all my money and went to um, I'm, I'm was in california that summer went to BevMo and I bought with my fake ID still like every color spirit alcohol you can imagine. So I was just pretty much, I was getting into it. That was when I was really getting into it. I was uh, making cocktails at the time. I thought I might want to get into like bartending or something. Um, It was all sort of on the table at that point. So that was maybe when I really started to take an interest in alcohol and packaging and pricing and all that kind of stuff. And then when I had the concept for Infuse, um, I still kept my other job. I had a job at the time and I was working at a desk and doing sales from uh, aerospace metal. Didn't really enjoy that. Pretty much the only job I've ever really had uh, aside from this one. And, you know, that one, um, while I was doing that, I was daydreaming about, you know, this Infusion concept. Yeah. And I would get up from my desk and go to the liquor store, or the grocery store, 
and I wanted to see if anyone else was doing it. So I kept checking and checking and checking and I was online and searching and searching. And the more I didn't find something, the more money I would put away because I wasn't deterred until I saved up about like five grand to go and, you know, put some samples together and start buying a bunch of different vodkas and a bunch of fruit and a bunch of clear bottles and wine bottles and figuring out that, you know, the, the tinkering made some samples. And then I met uh, a, a guy from Scotland who was doing Scotch whiskey importing for a couple companies like Trader Joe's and Costco. And he was in the private label business. And I pitched him, I presented him the concept for Infuse and he loved it. Uh, and he was the first person I ever talked to about it and I showed it to him and I have been working with him ever since. Uh, you know, I talk to him almost every week, if not every couple of weeks now. And he just opened my eyes to what could be. I mean, I think I took a hint from him because he walked into his place 2012 and he had a wall of whiskey himself. And I was like, damn, <laughs> I want that. And he, yeah. he had his car and a nice house and this and that. I'm like, okay, this is a guy I can work with. And, uh, you know, I think after I met him, we had a couple more meetings and he said, you know, the infused thing is great. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. But regardless, I, I like you. I want to work with you. I put in my two weeks the next day. I woke up the next day and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go work with that guy. <laughs> like, I, I, it was just this, this moment. The minute he said, I don't know what we're going to do, but I want to work with you. I said, you know what? I will take a chance and go work with him. That's incredible, so, man. And that was, that was it. I never looked back. It was the best decision I think I ever made. What kind of influence did he have on the, the whiskey creation of oh, Broken tons. Barrel? Tons. I, even though we were doing the, uh, well, even though we were doing the vodka, when I met him, he was letting me drink 30, 40, 50 year old scotches. I was 24. I even <laughs> once dropped a bottle of 40 year old scotch on the floor in a parking lot right before a sales meeting. So we, you know, uh, we, that was, that was a rough moment. Uh, he looked at me and he goes, that whiskey's older than you are, son. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, working with him, just, I was a fanatic and I worked with his son for many years after that. He kind of worked alongside me and we would drive around LA, you know, hawking cases out of the back of his son's Mercedes, uh, you know, to bars and restaurants and liquor stores. And we actually got a decent amount of, you know, business and, and some pretty high profile accounts in Los Angeles. And we were at one point in time, we were literally storing like, like tens of thousands of dollars of single malt scotch in my grandmother's garage to pull samples from. Um, Totally not legal either, but you know, this is almost 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was really fun. But all the while, while we were building Infuse, I was around Scotch. So it, it certainly played a part. Mm. That the owner of that company uh, did not play a huge role in Broken Barrel so sure. much. I think my, I think my Infuse Spirits team really got together and we all sort of had these ideas around what we were going to do for the infused spirits whiskey. I certainly took him every sample of every batch and got his sort of seal of approval. Um, but no, the, and then I think once we had done 
we actually did the, we called it broken barrel and we used the broken staves, but it wasn't until the second year, uh, 2018, that we really said, okay, we're going to, we're going to do, if we're going to break barrels, let's do it right. Let's get the hammers. Let's show us breaking the barrels. And so if you go to brokenbarrelwhiskey.com, you can actually watch what we do. Yeah. So rather than just buying barrels that were already broken, we decided we wanted to do the breaking ourselves. And so it was the second, third, fourth batch that we started smashing everything with such hammers, getting it on camera and really promoting it that way and collecting the staves. And yeah, there's a bit of feeder to it, but there's no substitution or shortcut. And we literally take barrels, break them up and put them into the whiskey. And that creates what we call the oak bill. And that's probably one of the more important topics to cover is the, uh, yeah. the, the idea behind an oak bill versus like a mash bill. Yeah. So, so yeah, definitely. Let's, um, let's back up a little bit so we can uh, talk about the inception itself of, of broken barrel. And I mean, you, you basically already touched on it. It's a very literal name yeah. <laughs> as, as far they, as they both are, they both are we <laughs> infused spirit, but what is it? Well, it's an infused spirit. Yeah. So Real bro- <laughs> broken barrel whiskey is whiskey made from barrels that you have literally broken with a, with a hammer, with a sledgehammer. But exactly that, that as you've been saying, I mean, that wasn't the initial inception um, or the initial idea. What differed then as opposed to what you're doing now? Um, no, really. I mean, it was the idea to use barrels that had been broken because if you think about one concept everything was supposed to be infused so that when we're trying to keep to that concept or adhere to the sort of rules we set for ourselves about what we are what we do uh, as a company and as a brand but uh, in the same breath we weren't actually doing single bottle infusions we don't put the oak in the bottle we do it on a larger batch scale which is what we don't do on the vodka so there was already from the first batch and the first concept a uh, deviation from the norm with broken barrel. So when we created it, we're just like, it's an infusion, so it can be called infused. But by year two, we were already thinking, maybe this is its own thing. Let's really lean into this broken barrel and make that the name. And so one thing led to another, a few conversations with the right people. And we really saw the light and decided, okay, this is broken barrel. This is not infused spirits. And even though you could call it an infusion, I think the industry term everyone knows is a finish. It's a finishing. So it's staved, finished, staved, macerated. You can say it's staved infused, but yeah, we're using broken barrel staves to literally submerge those into batches of whiskey so you have you know if you look at a uh, if you think about an oak stave you got the the inside the outside the sides the tops and bottoms you have all these yep. different um surfaces in contact so you have this sort of seasoned oak element going on uh because the outside of the barrel has been exposed to bacteria and elements and dirt and this and that and so it's got all these different flavor components in there some good, some bad, and you really want to treat the barrels a little bit before you put them in the whiskey. Sure. But sure. You're, also, you're also going to filter everything out, and you're doing it at a high proof. You're going to add a little water, bring it down to the right proof if it's not a cast strength. So those are all factored in 
And then we use different types of barrels. We thought it was really, really neat uh, from the very, very first batch to use sherry cast, French oak, and ex-bourbon barrels in tandem uh, with a specific ratio of 20% sherry cask, 40% French oak, 40% ex-bourbon barrels. And Jeez. that's literally the count of the staves. Yeah. Uh, and which, and, you know, depending on the batch size, it's more or less number of staves per um, per type. Right. But that is the oak bill. So you think about a mash bill, like, oh, this is a 21% rye, you know, uh, 9% malted barley bourbon. Well, our whiskey is a 20, uh, 40, 40 uh, oak bill. And then we had the California oak, which you may or may not have tried already. And that is uh, an 80-20 mash bill. Yeah. 80% Cabernet oak barrels, 20% French oak. So you have different things happening. And every bottle has the oak bill and the mash bill listed out on it very clearly. We want everyone to know exactly what's in the whiskey. Before I get to what I was, what I just tasted, I want to ask you too. It's so it is though being aged or rested in a new charred oak barrel, right? Yes, we take okay. bourbon that's aged the same way all bourbons are, new charred oak, fifty-one percent corn, and ours is Kentucky bourbon and Kentucky yeah. rye for that matter. So. Grain to glass, 100% done in Owensboro, Kentucky, at Green River Distillery. I was going to say, I, I didn't think yeah. I didn't think there were any other distilleries in Owensboro. So. <laughs> uh, well, there's a facility that's owned by Sazerac that does bottling, but not, I don't believe, much whiskey. But oddly, it's in Owensboro. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of it. It's actually the G, I think. But it's just a bottling facility. So... This, I want to, I want to take this and as it is apparently appropriate, break it down a little bit more as well. So, <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> so this 88 proof California bourbon. Yes. Um, California oak, it, Kentucky. California bourbon. oak, Kentucky bourbon. That's right. My That's bad. Right. I, I apologize. Oh, you got it. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that though. So well, if people get confused because we're, I'm here in Los Angeles, the distilleries in Kentucky, the vodka is getting made in Vegas. So we're right. We're touching a lot of facilities in a lot of States. And so people get a little turned around They go, where the hell are you from? Like, what are you guys <laughs> doing? It's like, well, I know it's confusing, but don't worry. <laughs> Just read the label. <laughs> It'll, It'll be all right. It. Yeah. <laughs> It's all on there. <laughs> so this is a, a two-year-old at least bourbon, right? The, the bourbons, yeah, the California oak, straight bourbon, the rye. The one you're trying is not a straight rye, so it has younger than two-year-old in it. But starting uh, August 1st, they will all be straight bourbons and straight ryes. So everything, yes, will be two years well, up. This one actually is listed as at least yeah, two California years. Yeah, California Oak. So California Oak is. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, I misunderstood. California Oak. Yeah, sorry. sorry. So it again, it's it's a little confusing, and I apologize <laughs> to you and the listener. California Oak. They'll catch up. Is straight bourbon. Our small batch ninety-five proof has not been straight bourbon right to date. Our cast strength bourbon has not been straight bourbon to date, and our rye has not been. Uh, straight rye to date 
that is changing August 2021. That's awesome. There's enough of it that we can start upping the age uh, based on the inventories and pricing and everything going on at uh, Green River. Again, while they are big, they are still small relative to other, you know, big, big players. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're new. They, they really only started. They got their feet going. They started laying down barrels in 2016, uh, a year before we came along. So when we started yeah. the company, there was only one year old. That was it. And we barely got much of it. We only got 500 uh, bottles or, or cases, I mean. Jeez. So it's not a lot uh, no. that we could access in the early days. There's yeah. a lot more available now. So that, that, you answered basically what my question was going to be, which was, are we going to see older product eventually? And, um, oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's a question that we tend to ask a lot of these smaller distilleries, craft distilleries, smaller NDPs as well, just depending on how, how, how quick they need their turnaround to be, how much of an investment they might have and how much capital they need to, you know, bring back in. So I, I know that places like, you know, Wilderness Trail and New Riff already have, you know, four-year bottled and bond products, uh, six-year products as well. I mean, is something like a four-year bottled and bond in the works for you guys as well? I do not believe we have any plans to put out a bottled and bond. Um, That's not... When you see new products come to market for us, there'll be new categories or really ridiculous oaks or one-off limited edition products. Yeah. Um, we're not going to straddle the market with a regular bourbon and a cast drink bourbon and a California oak bourbon and a, a bottle and bar. Like, we don't need 12 bourbons. Yeah. And we're not a bourbon, but we're a whiskey company with a really unique one-of-a-kind process, level of transparency. The term Oakville is registered to us we trademarked it like we've got a lot going on with that so what you'll see um are extremely cool collaborations like we're doing a modern times uh brewery collaboration we did a great collaboration with um uh oh god i'm like tabula rasa from second chance brewery nice brewery in minnesota we're working with um you're gonna see a lot of beer collaborations we take those old stout barrels and we put them, we break them up and put them into the, uh, the bourbons. And we do that at 115 proof generally. That's been really, really fun. So, and those are, those are like unique made to order items that you'll see with uh, retailers that buy entire barrels worth at a time. And that's a program um, that we run. We actually have a name for it, which I can tell you is called the Reserve Oak Series. And that's oh, where cool. you'll find... Uh, for our reserve oaks, that's where you'll find the more expensive uh, products like port finish, um, peach brandy cask finish, rum and rye cask finished bourbon. Uh, those things are, are probably a little more challenging to find. Uh, we've done several of those with our online retail partner, Flaviar and casters. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So we work with them on some really cool stuff. A lot more in the works actually with them that I can tell you guys, uh, we will be putting out some really neat projects with them. Uh, we're doing a barrel pick with Bourbon Pursuit. That what you can look that one up on YouTube. Uh, those awesome. guys, Kenny picked the barrel. Uh, so those are some of the more unique things, but the four items you're trying, those are our everyday, always available, uh, 
priced to be drank as often as you possibly can or shared or gifted or, you know, sure. it, it's, it's an effort. We're trying to create an everyday whiskey brand that you can go back to again and again and again. That is just a little different in taste and in style and, in, you know, attitude, I would say, than your everyday Kentucky bourbon, which is not like the other brands. Yeah. Uh, why our rye whiskey is called a heresy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's not like the everyday company. So ha- having just had the California Oak, at 88 proof, it has one of the thickest mouthfeels I have yeah. ever experienced on a sub-90 proof bourbon. Just hands down. <clears throat> it was coating. It had a really nice oiliness to it as well. And I just was, I, I was really blown away by the fact that, you know, it had this much depth of flavor at two years at, at 88 proof, of course. But I think that, you know, and and it just goes to show that this process that you guys have pioneered is giving bourbon drinkers something else, as opposed to what we've seen be unsuccessful in terms of experimentation, smaller barrels, hyper aging, um, yeah, you know, just no. think, things like that. And, and this, I like this approach so much better and it, it just seems to create a better outcome, uh, than, you know, using a, a half, a half size barrel or, you know, putting it, putting it in Texas. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't knock I, I have some Texas whiskey that I absolutely adore. I've got some 15 and 30 gallon whiskeys that I can't speak highly uh, enough about. And I, maybe I'm with you on the hyper aging stuff, like the, the you know, blasting it with uh, light or, or pressure cooking it or those kinds of things. Like I'm less enthused about those as I am about, the, the other two, you know, yeah. uh, types or processes or, or terroirs, as you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I, I'm also a bit of a, a fanatic in that I'll drink, you know, whiskey from the Netherlands or India oh, absolutely. or, or yeah. Australia. Or, you know, I'll drink whiskey from all over the planet. So, I'm, and, I, and I love doing that too, by the way. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm not a Kentucky purist by any means. I, I've, Oh, yeah. wanted to clarify i mean i'm i'm from kentucky i was born in lexington i'm still here pretty yeah, much yeah. and and it's just you know kentucky bourbon is very much a part of who i am but once i started i experiencing the whiskeys that didn't come from kentucky or the whiskeys that inspired those that were made in kentucky then everything kind of started to fall into place and then i started to identify and be able to see the, the broader picture and really have an appreciation for it and an enjoyment for it. And yeah. also there are some Texas whiskeys that I absolutely love. Oh, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong impression here. It's just. There <laughs> tons, there's tons of Texas whiskeys. Um, uh, just really so different. So different. Mm. Um, that, that was like not an elegant statement, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Texas whiskey, so different. <laughs> He's a poet. He's a poet. He's uh, got all the best <laughs> words. <laughs> got the biggest, I got all the best words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
but I'm not even drinking right now. This is this is wonderful. Um, no, man, it's 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 fun. I mean, I think that's the joy of being involved in the whiskey industry and having whiskey collections and those things. Is you get to experience and taste all these different products that were made with different intentions and different processes, and it was really. It's really been eye-opening as a podcast host myself and yeah. someone that, that reviews and tastes um, different spirits professionally outside of this company entirely. And that's been extremely eye-opening, especially this past year and a half uh, where we were kind of locked inside for a little while there and getting to still connect with people all yeah. over the world through Zoom and do these kind of like interviews and tastings. It's, it was the best absolutely the best experience and i think had the pandemic not happened i'm not necessarily sure the experiences would have been quite the same or or have happened at all for that matter you you are not the first person to have said that to me over the past few episode recordings past few months really and it's hard not to find some way to justify finding light in the horrible extreme darkness that was last year when none of us were happy and we were all stuck inside and couldn't go see our friends and everything. And the, the more and more that I talk to people, it seems just more and more like we're all trying our best to be as optimistic about it. What did 2020 do for you both on, on both ends of the spectrum, not just for, you know, um, bringing about a, a closer sense of community, but also, you know, what, how did that kind of change you and your outlook? And also on the flip side of business wise or business and personal business and personal. Well, personal is easy. I had a baby last year, my first, my daughter. So dude, we had our first kid too. Yeah. Uh, November 29th. Oh, we beat you. October 15th. There you go. Yeah. A, <laughs> I, that's my wedding anniversary, actually, October 15th. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Holy crap, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, those are both great dates. So Amen. <laughs> that was, you know, just going through last year, wondering if I'm going to get to go to the hospital to be there for my wife. But that was certainly, yeah. you know, checking the news every day and applying for PPP loans and crap like that, you know, all interesting. And, you know, the personal experiences of doing that was, was, you know, all over the map, man. There was some, yeah. and the podcasting was great. You know, uh, the wonders of direct to consumer business has been really eye-opening and changed my outlook a lot from the year before where, you know, no, I don't know if we were even talking about DTC in 2019 and 2018 it comes up every meeting now and with everybody i talk to for this company and others and it's just a, a big topic of conversation right now as we look you know forward into 22 and on yeah um i'm not really giving you like positive or negative i'm just giving you just stuff no 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 it's man it, it's all part so, of the story you don't you don't have to keep everything black and white i mean do as yeah do as you see fit. To think of like what hell happened last year no i mean most a lot a lot of stuff happened last year a lot it's right like a lot of stuff happened last year but also like a lot didn't happen like it was kind of for you know minus 
the the scares of like people getting sick and they're like oh shit what's going to happen to them um you know knock on wood luckily everyone i know uh in my family that did get sick came out of it just fine including like my grandfather who's in his 80s Man. um you know people ended up that i you know around me thank god people lucky no one got uh too sick or anything beyond that so yeah that was uh that was probably one of the best positives that and my daughter. Um, and on a negative side, I mean, I'm sure there were some negative things beyond just what was the state of the world, but, you know, I wish we could have uh, gotten out more uh, on a business side and just seen more customers and been able to, you know, keep the business at the levels we wanted it. And I think that's true of every craft spirits company. I mean, I read somewhere the average craft spirits company lost 50% of their sales. So yeah. yeah, that was not the case for us. We, we managed to do far better than that. Um, you know, so that was, that's another positive, but certainly didn't do as well as we had hoped, which is, I guess the negative. So, but <laughs> that, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take it. It's that, fine. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I, I think that's, how a lot of us in this field in this industry felt we were like yeah because i i mean i was incredibly positive going into 2020 yeah and I, 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 yeah i mean growing 20s my ass right <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is gonna 20s. be the big this is gonna be the best year of the podcast you know it in mid-february we found out we were gonna have a baby and it was just like I can't, I can't imagine things are going to, you know, take a turn for the worse. And sure enough, it was, oh, yeah. it was weird, but we made it through just fine. But I, I think that for, for those of us who have a positive outlook on how last year went, I, it, it almost felt like proof that the, at a very core level, the, the human spirit is indomitable. And for, for those of us that, persevered and and you know found ways to to make it happen even if it wasn't the the most ideal situation i mean i i in some ways i feel very fortunate to have gone through 2020 yeah it's a year that we will be talking about for many many years to come <laughs> so so we can bring it back around to the whiskey now i apologize but i had oh, to oh no had to get the, a, the perspective it, it comes up naturally and often so it's just how how conversations go <laughs> so what are you drinking now so i i've kind of tasted through everything but i'm coming back now to the small batch bourbon yeah 95 at the proof. moment yeah 95 proof i about a year old some extra in there as well uh, no, at least at least one year old, uh, yeah. up to up to three for those blends. No older than anything, uh, yeah. Than, than that age. So, so again, we, we're talking about this oak bill that uh, you you guys have trademarked. This is forty percent ex bourbon, forty percent French oak, twenty percent sherry cask, and I think that's the same thing on the rye as well. The rye and the cask strength are the same oak bill. All three of them. Gotcha. And all three of the bourbons have the same mash bill, which is 70% corn, 21% rye, 9% malt barley. How, how much of a different 
taste testing of mash bills did you all do before you settled on this high rye mash bill? Um, we tasted a few different ones. Uh, actually, our first batch, batch one, was a different mash bill. It was, I believe, if I remember correctly, I know it was 4% malted barley. It was a, it was a 70, oh God, no, I'm blanking. I think it was 71% corn, 25%. Man. Right? 25, four, 71, 25, four. That adds up. Man. Yeah. 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 yeah, it yeah so it was, it was about half the amount of malted barley in the current mash bill. So yeah. I mean, again, 5%, 9%, sorry, 4%, 9%, not the end of the world, but yeah, it was a 71, 25, four. Was, was that a change out of necessity or a conscious one that you all made? Um, it was an availability one. They said we can't. Oh, okay. Okay. We're not we're not running this mash bill uh, much longer. We want to switch you guys if you're amenable to it. We'd like to uh, see if you go for this uh, seventy twenty one. This is what we've been producing for the last year, and this is yeah. what we want to continue producing. There are weeded mash bills out of Owensboro that I have not explored. Um, again, I'm less interested in exploring mash bills. I think there are plenty of companies that do a phenomenal job at that, uh, along with a lot of other levers that you can pull in making yeah, with absolutely. different, you know, labels, uh, like bottle and bond, for example, like there's yeah. so yeah. many levers you can pull. And for us, I feel like we have our hands full just in producing with, with different levers of different oaks. I mean, I could launch a whiskey, call it the reserve series and do 70% sherry, 15 French, 15 uh, ex-bourbon. And even though all the elements going into it are the same, the ratios are different and the resulting whiskey is going to be way sweeter and way fruitier and way more, you know, robust. Um, maybe not as long of a finish, way less of that oak flavor that you get on that 95 group. Um, but if all else was equal, you know, it's still a totally different product just by pulling the levers of the oak bill. So I'd rather focus on the oak bill than the mash bill, quite frankly. Uh, and this year, I can also announce that we will do an American whiskey. It's going to be fun. Oh, cool. So I'm going to put some stuff in there. It's going to have some bourbon in the blend. It's also going to have some corn whiskey and possibly some light whiskey. Great. Uh, I love light whiskey. I think it's a I really fun product. Yeah. Specifically because light whiskey has all the body and and backbone of a good and it's much cheaper than whiskey than uh, than bourbon um, to buy by the barrel. Yeah, and so I can get some older whiskeys that really they don't have much flavor, but they got a lot of uh, a lot of feel, a lot of mouth feel because of their age. Um, very similar, to like a you know like a you know a younger Scotch that's been five, six, seven years, you know. Not a lot of flavor, but lots of mouthfeel still yeah. from being in the barrel that long. It really takes a long time when you're in a used barrel to pick up any really good flavors. But we've got an oak bill. So you slap an oak bill with it and suddenly the flavor is like not a problem, not an issue at all. So now you're combining flavor with feel and you can get a really nice whiskey out of that. And the amount of flavor that's picked up when you've got light whiskey in the blend 
it is super fascinating to watch a whiskey just mature and evolve that quickly um, because of the surface area of the oak and all that. It's just a really, really nice thing. So I'm super excited to get into American whiskey. Um, ours is going to be 100 proof, 50%, uh, and that will be coming out this fall sometime either September or October. And we're just working out the kinks of where it'll be for sale, but we will okay. announce that. So definitely follow, uh, follow us at Broken Barrel Whiskey on Instagram, where we usually make most of our big announcements. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, cause I mean, you said it yourself, you wanted to focus on the Oak Bill. So yeah. I want to, I want to break down the Oak Bill a little bit as well. Um, Two things I, I'm, I'm curious about. One, there is kind of this pushback on whether or not bourbons that undergo this sort of treatment can be called bourbons uh, in the community at the moment. And, and folks like Wade, Wade Woodard, of course, is um, a big proponent of trying to be more uh, clear about it. Lloyd Christmas on Twitter, too, who I'm sure you've seen. Um, uh, it, it, remind me, what, what, what was his comment? So there's this... I don't have Twitter, by the way. So I, I oh, no, no. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it might not be directed at you all, but, you know, when we take somebody like Maker's Mark, who is doing the oak finishing staves, yeah, um, yeah. you know, for 46 or all of their, all of their private selects, um, yeah. it's, it's the conversation of whether or not it's truly still bourbon. Um, and I, I, it doesn't sound like, to me, the label of that is hugely important to you all as long as you're putting out really good product um there isn't much of an opinion in my view because the government tells you exactly what you can and can't call it right the government you you read our label it says broken barrel whiskey company and i'm, I'm i've got the new label in front of me it's a new bottle oh uh, i'll show you i'll show you yeah, that's um, great. Uh, it says Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished with broken barrel staves. And it has to say exactly that in the same font, in the same sentence, without any sort of, I can't increase the size of the word bourbon. I can't trick people into thinking uh, this is bourbon. It, it's as a sentence, this is broken barrel California oak, full stop, period. And what that is, is broken is a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished with broken barrel staves. They make it incredibly challenging to say anything other than exactly that, which yeah. matches exactly the recipe or formula you submit to the government as well. And I can't use the word whiskey or bourbon anywhere else on the label because they're very damn clear that this, you know, while it's made with bourbon, it may not technically be bourbon, even though it's just a stave finish. Right. And, and believe it or not, if it were barrel finish, which is the biggest joke of all, if it were barrel finish, like if I put it from one barrel into another barrel, yeah. I, could, I could word it and phrase it and show it on the label differently. Can you believe that? The fact that I break the barrels and put them in versus putting the whiskey into another barrel changes the entire framework in which I can label my product. I, I, so it's kind of crazy. It, part of me is just kind of like, yeah, it makes sense that 
the government has done that. They're just trying to, you know, make it as difficult as possible for yeah. you to, you know, be clear. It, it, it just, you would, you would think that there would be a big enough overlap to where you wouldn't have to change the verbiage so much in that, in that sense. But I mean, it, that's, it, it's cool to me. I mean, just to kind of hear that sense of like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, like I mean, we've got, we've got it taken care of, man. Like we're just doing what we're doing. You know, it, it's not made with vodka or gin. Yeah, or exactly. I mean, it's, it's Kentucky distilled, fermented, aged barrel bourbon. Right. And then we put a bunch of staves into the tank. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I, you know, if you want to get, if you want to get into like arguments or, or get into confusion, Here's a bottle of Baron Jaeger. It's from Germany. It's I don't want to have Berkeley. any kind of argument, man. <laughs> Look at that. It's bizarre that it's from Germany. This is Baron Jaeger, German liqueur made with honey and bourbon. How it can even have the word bourbon on it with or underneath the word imported honey bourbon. It says it on the label in this little tag. It says imported honey bourbon. Riddle me that. Riddle me that one, that. There's, there's, there's one back at you, <laughs> dude. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with you at all. <laughs> no, 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 just... <laughs> no, 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 It's not at you. I, I, this is more for the listener. I'll have the listener yeah. to go look at Aaron Yeager and figure that one out. And then, then maybe this will get you some steamy comments or something. Yeah. Like that. You're smart to stay <laughs> off saucy, Twitter. You're smart to stay off Twitter, by the language. way. It's a, it, it, yeah. It, Twitter, Twitter's a hellscape. So. <laughs> yeah. I never, I never got into Reddit or Twitter. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff on there. Maybe even stuff about us. I don't know. I wouldn't know. That's <laughs> probably barely, barely got enough time for uh, Instagram. So I, I want to talk about the similarities between these last three whiskeys as well with that that oak bill. Um, yeah. I, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, that you've kind of reserved this, what almost feels like it would be an LE or a top uh, top shelf product uh, with the California Oak bourbon. Um, and these other ones that are higher proof, which we kind of typically assume or associate with being, uh, uh, the, the ones that we're going to, you know, pay more money for seem to have more consistency with it because there is, uh, this same Oak bill throughout. Um, Talk about some of the experimentation that went on with developing the Oak bill and why you wanted to reserve the, the California Oak just for the one product. Um, the bulk, half the company uh, at this point lives, grew up, works in California. So California is near and dear to us. I was born here. Uh, my parents met at UCSD. I you know, was born in San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles. I've been, I've kind of got connections and have spent a good amount of time in almost every corner of the state. Um, and the central coast is really special. So my wife went to UCSB, my cousin went to UCSB, all my best friends went to UCSB. So I spent a lot of time going and visiting different people. Um, my wife after college, she's going to listen to this and be like, you never came and saw me. I didn't even know you till after college, which is true. <laughs> but other, other friends and people. So we, you know, I've done a lot of wine tasting out there in Paso and San Inez and, and uh, San Luis Obispo and stuff. And uh, great, great region for Pinot, great region for uh, Cab. Um, so we 
basically when we formulate to answer your first question, how we came up with that 40, 40, 20, we actually aged in like Gatorade jugs, um, our bourbon, our original uh, uh, mash bill. And then we put all the, we had oak staves and we actually like had to cut them down to like, they, they were sticking out of the, you know, they're big. They're right, big, right, big. right. Yeah, yeah. Cut them up with a hacksaw and put them all in there, let them age and we were tasting them every day to kind of like, okay, maybe it's time to pull the oak. It's starting to get a little oaky. This, that, let's take it to the proof we want. And then let's blend. So one was 100% French oak. The other was 100% sherry. The other one was 100% uh, ex-bourbon. And we made, you know, 33, 33, 33, 40, 40, 20, you know, 60, 20, 20. We made different blends. And as a group, as a company, we tried the different blends and we landed on that mash, that, sorry, that oak bill. And it stuck. And then when we tried it on the rye, same thing. We're like, damn, this oak bill works. It's just enough. It's not, the hint of sherry is really the secret sauce. It's 20% yeah. sherry. It's not too much. Right, it's soft. It's there. It provides just enough fruit. It provides the sherry's really sweet too. Um, I mean, you can see the sugars on the inside of the stave after you let it dry out. They start to kind of crystallize, and it is a totally different um, level when you go like eighty or hundred percent sherry, which we try. It is just it's, we none of us like loved it. None of us were in love with hundred percent sherry. Um, and you'll see on our reserve oaks, we're really big on balance and really big on creating a whiskey that isn't just finishing something and that's it. And that's the difference between us and I would say every other finished whiskey, right? Every other finished whiskey is 100% finishing with that one barrel. Right. So if you see a tequila barrel finish or that, it's just 100% that barrel, like full force in your face, that flavor and you lose some of what I would say made that original whiskey great. Or maybe you're hiding uh, a bat. This may be the case, it may not be the case. That's for each, you know, you could give one person, uh, give 10 people one whiskey and half will like it and half won't. So yeah. that's a whole nother thing. But whatever the reasoning, we try to create consistent, continuous batches and they're never actually consistent. They always kind of vary because we're super small, but yeah. we try to keep this one thing going because there's such balance in it. That hint of sherry, that, that oaky French oak with that little caramel note to it, the ex-bourbon stave with all those sort of marshmallowy vanilla flavors. There's so much vanilla in our whiskey. We love that vanilla flavor. It's almost like a birthday cake quality creaminess yeah. that comes out. Absolutely. Um, and I love that, that cake batter sort of thing. Um, our, our 95 proof is really like that has more and more in recent batches really started to take on this cake batter profile that I, I've never used that description to describe other whiskeys. It's just that we have our own whiskey. And because we're, we're dabbling in different oaks at the same time, with the same environment happening for the, uh, the finishing process all at once, you get this balance that you just don't get when you go a hundred percent one lever, one, one kind of. Yeah, go. sure. Right. And, and that's just why I think it's, it's kind of unique. I think it shows to the influence that comes from your experimentation and your love for other whiskeys. 
as well, not just relying upon the, the tradition of how bourbon is made, relying upon the tradition of how American rye is made. But yeah, the, that introduction of the, the sweetness from the, the sherry barrels, some of the drier French oak barrels as well, but it, it just feels like a good common ground or a good marriage between all of these different whiskey types, whiskey styles uh, that can either bring people together or separate them because they prefer one thing over the other, right? But this does feel like a meeting ground between all of those. And it feels like a, a, a good way to introduce people slowly but surely into experimenting with other whiskeys. Um, the, the thing that I've seen happen more and more recently too is introducing peat to rye and into bourbons as well, whether it's in the finishing or um, they use a barrel uh, to, you know, kind of bring that influence as well. Um, Do you have one you like, a peated bourbon? Kings County's peated bourbon, I think, is quite good um, out, of, out of New York. Okay. Other than that, I've got a, a one from a, a peated rye that I've not had yet from Buzzard's Roost as of recording. Um, Buzzard's Roost. But they, uh, it, it's, it's becoming more prominent. I'm curious if you see anything like that that you know to as as well as you know bring everybody to some sort of meeting space also you know take it one step further and and educate people or even invite other people in uh with something like pete we did we did do a pete two years ago did you we did Man. the aisle aisle of pete you can you can check that out um there may be a bottle or two floating around online or in local sure. markets. Um, we did a, and this is two years ago, and it was still stave finished, not uh, barrel finished. Right. But we did what I called the single oak series, which was kind of a really weird and probably poor timing to have launched it because we were still in transition from infused to broken barrel. But yeah, I know we did a three bottle series that, I'll look back on and be proud of myself for attempting, but maybe not, you know, I think, I think I've, I've really hard on myself about those whiskeys because sure. they, they just, we made too much of them. You know, we thought it was like super limited and I got my hands on enough oak for these batch sizes, but the batch sizes were, I think were too big for, for us at the time. I'm just saying, I mean, relatively small batch sizes in the grand scheme, but I'm very critical of myself about all these things that went on around that project, but we did the cask of Amontillado and we are still nice. one of the few uh, companies in the U S that have ever used Amontillado so for cool. a whiskey finish, Amontillado sherry cask. We did the, um, we actually got Lafroy barrels. We couldn't say it on the label or anything, but surprise, it was Lafroy. <laughs> 15 year old Lafroy barrels that we got. We got four of those oh, and man. we finished a peated, um, we finished a wheat single malt blend that we actually followed up with an additional sherry finish and called that the Fenwalker. And then we had the Mizunara, which was just a, oh. a, a blend of corn whiskeys finished in Mizunara. And what I would say about peated bourbons, I'm curious to try both the ones you mentioned. I have not had them, but to date, I have never had or never been able to create 
and this may be just a, a bit about me on blending, but corn and peat are mortal enemies. They do not go together. <laughs> so I would love to find and try a peated bourbon, um, but I would reserve peat, in my personal opinion, you know, it belongs in the malts. It belongs with the wheats and the rye. Right. Something about corn. Just, I tried so many different ways to make a corn whiskey with those peated scotch barrels when I first got them and I was sampling some staves. Right. And it was some of the worst stuff I've ever tasted. <laughs> and, and in every ratio and in every sort of dilution and, and at, at every proof, it was just awful. And then, we, then we're like, all right, this isn't working. Let's call... Uh, MGP and get some samples of some single malt. And those whiskeys, by the way, incorporate a lot of whiskey that was not from uh, Green River. And so we got some MGP single malt and we dropped a little bit of that peated cask in there. And it was incredible. It was one of the best <laughs> things we ever tried. And we're like, okay, well, obviously there, there's that. Like, let's just stick with single malt. There's a reason they peat single malts and it's not a burden thing. So we actually got a double gold medal on that Isle of Pete. We got a silver medal on the Amontillado, even though it was by far a long shot, uh, the most popular and the quickest sellout. And we That's got incredible. 95 points uh, on the Mizunar, 95 points. So that was Man. a good one. That's awesome. I, I, I apologize. I didn't know that you guys had already done something with, uh, with Pete. No, no, there, it, it kind of came and went, and it's not really prominent on our website it's kind of tucked sure. away but the information's there and there were links to buy them now and i know some california retailers still have them online so you can ship in most states um search single oak series broken barrel you find one grab it they're there we stopped making those two years ago yeah well seth i don't want to keep you too much longer i do want to touch on just just one more thing um sure. and it's the the sore thumb out of the bunch in the best way possible, the sure. rye. The rye is so in and of itself a very unique product. I mean, it, it is so bright for a rye, so citrusy for a rye. And I can't help but wonder that that had to have been a part of the, the finishing process, right? I mean, yeah. it's a 95.5 rye. I mean, 95.5. Yeah. Is not from Indiana. It is not a, a MGP yeah. rye. Um, I think a lot of distilleries have adopted that mash bill as their own um, because it produces a familiar flavor that you look for in rye. Um, and I like ryes that aren't 95.5 as well. And if I were to do another rye whiskey, I would absolutely make sure it was not a 95.5 just to change things up. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, that oak bill really the rye whiskey is special i love our rye whiskey i think it's by far i mean there aren't a lot of 105 proof rye whiskeys in a bottle like the ones we're putting out for 30 bucks 35 bucks yeah. you just can't find them. i mean you've got uh sazerac overholt rittenhouse and i'm trying to think of another rye in that price point that old forester yeah forester and bullet yeah. Um, and even none of those, none of those are over are 105. No. Um, no. I think 100 is the highest of any of those. So for cocktails, I mean, to get a craft produced whiskey, uh, a rye whiskey with that proof on it, to make a cocktail with, to make your Manhattans or whatever. I mean, it's it's with that with that little sherry backbone, your Manhattans. 
awesome. Like absolutely. I'm, I'm tooting my own horn. It's a great rye whiskey that, that I'm, I'm very proud of. So, uh, and honestly, if I didn't have so many other different spirits to drink all the time, I would drink so much more of it. <laughs> um, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm cursed with the, uh, the, the job of tasting new stuff all the time. So it, but it's, it's a tough Dang job. It. Someone's got to do it, man. Someone's got to do it. You and Miss I, man. You and I. <laughs> we're the unlucky hey, ones. I can't complain <laughs> about it. I can't complain about it. I want to no say complaints. thank you uh, so much for, for your time. Thank you to Mike and everybody at Broken yeah, Barrel yeah. for sending me the samples as well. Um, where can people find you on social media? Uh, Instagram's our main thing. Um, we're pretty inactive on Facebook. So Instagram at Broken Barrel at Infuse Spirits. That's Infuse Spirits with an S. Um, same thing. Just, just Google Broken Barrel Infuse Spirits. It will come up. We've got plenty of uh, stuff out there. And uh, yeah, that's, that's us. Awesome. Well, once again, Seth, thank you so much, man. We'll catch up with you soon as well. Yes. All right, Perry. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Taking the time. My thanks again to Seth, everybody who helped out with getting this interview set up as well. Had so much fun talking about these these really cool, really different, really interesting methods of creating bourbon, creating whiskey. What are y'all's thoughts? Are you more inclined to to pick up Broken Barrel now that you've heard from uh, the guy who makes it? Are you at least more curious in trying it? Uh, let me know. Send me a tweet. Send me an email uh, at my bourbon pod. This is my bourbon shop at gmail.com. If you have some follow-up questions, uh, maybe we'll address it on this week's stream. Maybe we'll talk about it uh, in a future episode as well. But regardless, thank you again, Seth. All right. Let's talk about some tips and bits before we get out of here. And I got just one this week because... It's, it's impossible for me to not talk about this. My favorite show is back. Ted Lasso. Jason Sudeikis on Apple TV. Uh, one of... The, it's, it's just hands down everything that I want a TV show to be. And, I mean, I, I don't really have that much love for sports. Um, but in, in this case, it makes me feel closer to the the sport itself in terms of soccer football however you want to call it and i i just i find jason sudeikis in this show so endearing and and so lovable and i just i cannot get enough of it only one episode of season two is out but everything from season one uh is on apple tv or apple plus or whatever the heck it's called i don't even really know anymore i just kind of uh i subscribe to it and it, I, it's, it's one of those things where I would subscribe to it just for that show, uh, and it would be totally worth it to me. So I think that does it. Thank you all so much for listening this week. Uh, if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Purator1492 on all social media channels. If you want to follow the show itself, it's at my bourbon pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can leave us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcatcher app, and we will read that out here on the show if you would like for us to, if not. Uh, but that is a super great way for other people to find the show, pushes us up in the charts when people search for bourbon in their favorite podcatcher app. Uh, and tell your, tell your friends about the show, please. That's a great way to uh, get the word out if they like bourbon and like podcasts. Even if they don't, force them to listen to it. Don't do that. We, we don't endorse that here at Timbit. 
that's not that's not nice. Don't do that to your friends. Uh, you can find all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com. You can send uh, questions or comments to uh, thismybourbonshop at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash thisismybourbonpodcast. We are on the way to 1,000 subs. I'm super, super excited to get there. Uh, once we do, we'll be able to uh, do some awesome, some, some more lucrative things with that channel, I would say. But uh, I do have a new episode or new video coming out very soon, probably within the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. And last but not least, patreon.com slash podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can help support the show. Really does uh, mean a lot to those of you who are already patrons and to those of you who are considering doing it. Uh, if you need a little extra push, $5 gets you some bonus content. And uh, the higher tier patrons are also going to get first, uh, first, first shot at getting our next barrel pick, which you are going to find out much more about here in the next few weeks. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you again to Seth for spending the time with me recording this episode. We'll see you all next week. But until then, I'm Perry, and this is my bourbon podcast.